everybody. Welcome to Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu, episode number 48. My name is Gabe Estel. I'm here with my co-hosts, Dennis Levi-Leach and Jonathan Getz. And tonight we've got a very special guest, stand-up comedian and baseball extraordinaire, Steve Hostetter. How you doing, Steve? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I want to give everybody a little bit more background on Steve before we dig into the conversation. Steve is multifaceted and has a very extensive resume in comedy and now baseball talk. You can find Steve's podcast, Major League Podcast. I assume we can find it on the iTunes store and uh, all the different podcasting apps. So again, that's Major League Podcast. We're going to talk a lot about that tonight, as well as Steve has uh, a show, recent show from this fall called Finding Babe Ruth that's on FS1. And you might remember him from season one of the show Laughs, a stand-up comedy show on Fox. You can check your local listings uh, to get the dates and times for Laughs. And Steve's got a slew of social media information that we're going to share as well. Um, at Steve Hofstetter, Facebook.com slash Steve Hofstetter and Steve Hofstetter.com. Now, Steve, I bet when you started doing comedy, people didn't have to list all of that social media, right? No, they were just like, <laughs> you may remember this guy from never. I actually know. I, I actually, as, as odd as it is, uh, I got to stand up in a very circuitous route. I was the first writer for collegehumor.com. Oh, okay. And so... A lot of people knew who I was before I was a comic, which okay. made it a little bit weird because before I ever did stand-up, I remember someone commenting on College Humor that I was their favorite comedian, and I was like, I'm not even any comedian, but thanks, because <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of people don't really understand what that word means, but um, then I started doing stand-up, and so it's weird. I actually had a bio before I was a comic, and I was a sports writer, too, um, right. around the same time I was writing for College Humor. I was a beat writer uh, with the Yankees um, and oh. covered covered the World Series in 2000 as a as a kid. I had my 21st birthday during that season, uh, so it was yeah, it was very very crazy. Um, but you know, I, I mainly just came on this show so that I could listen to 40 minutes of my own bio. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Excellent, excellent. Um, yes, and this is good too because we're all about the same age, so we've got a lot of shared baseball memories. I'm sure. Yeah. So. Excellent. Well, Steve, you know, Major League Podcast has really taken off lately, and uh, it's great work, man. Really enjoyed the the, Thank you. Uh, the last couple episodes. Could you tell us just a little bit about the origins of the podcast? Yeah, it was it was something I don't I don't remember exactly where I was or what I was doing when I had the idea, but I was I was thinking about so many comedians have podcasts where it's long form interviews of comedians. Sure, and. I, I kind of have been going through a baseball renaissance in the last year. When I got when I got hired by Fox Sports, I got hired by Jabo, which doesn't exist anymore because once Jabo was basically Fox Sports' answer to Grantland, and then oh, ESPN was yeah. like, "No more Grantland," and Fox Sports was like, "Well, fuck this." So then, <laughs> no more Jabo. Uh, so, uh, but when I was over at Jabo, I started being like, "You know what? All right, I got to get more in depth. I got to go back to where I was as a baseball fan. I gotta." I got to do a little more research, and I started looking for baseball podcasts, and I didn't find much. There was so much of it was either Crazy Insider, sure, where it yeah. was just everything was just the most, like, I love the sabermetric stuff. I think that's great, but I can't listen to an hour of statistics. I just can't right. do it. Um, or Total Homer, where people were just like, the Yankees are great. Be like, well, why? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> up for that, you know? Sure. So I got very, very into the Jabo podcast, actually. Rob Nyer and CJ Nikowski were hosting it, and it was wonderful. And uh, it's actually a lot of fun. I've been going back and listening to it and catching up with the episodes I missed, which is fun to do in the middle of the season when I hear them say stuff like, eh, you know, the Blue Jays don't really have much of a chance this year. And then the next week, the trade deadline happens. They're like, what the hell? Ha-? You know, so it's fun. <laughs> it's fun almost as a baseball historian. But anyway, point is that I realized there haven't really been long-form interview baseball podcasts. And I, I've gotten over the last year or two, I've been kind of blessed to be in a situation where I've gotten to know a lot of players and, you know, even become good friends with some of them. And so I figured I could get a couple of guests and let me see, let me see if this would work. And I, originally it wasn't supposed to be weekly. It was an every now and then. There was a month between the first episode and the second episode. But right. then the second episode did so well that I was like, well, I, I can get a couple more guests. And then they just started, everyone started saying yes. And then iTunes featured it on the front page. And just today, uh, like right before we started doing this, I found out um, – top 100 sports podcasts on iTunes only right six on. weeks right on congratulations thank you and I, I I don't credit myself at all I, I I mean I credit the idea but it's people really want a behind the scenes and what I always tell before I interview anybody I go this is about you as a person and not as a player mm-hmm. you know this is this is about the struggle this is about one of the first questions I asked CJ on the first episode was you know what is it like what does it feel like to be traded for a player to be named later like that's I always yeah. wanted to know that. Like, does it hurt your feelings to just be like, get the fuck out of Detroit? You know, like, does right. is that bad? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in his case, he was just like, no, I wanted to leave more than they wanted me to leave. So it worked out real nice. But <laughs> yeah. and, and so that's what we want to do with the show. And, and we've been really excited about doing it now. And we even got a sponsor and everything. So it's been cool. great. It's a really refreshing take, man. Um, how how you. do you choose your interview subjects, Steve? Is it is it kind of just based on personal relevancy, or is it topical, or just kind of uh, whoever's willing to talk? It's part part of it is who who says yes, yeah, um, sure. But part of it is also I want to I want to do like a healthy balance between the types of episodes. So of course, if I get a star, I'm going to say yes no matter what. But like I wanted to put a little bit of distance. I've talked to a couple of athletes turned broadcasters now and so i want to put a little distance in between that um i just did an episode with barry lyons where so much of it was about it was about like unrealized potential and redemption and you know he went through depression and alcoholism and some really serious stuff and so i don't want to cover that for the next couple episodes you know so then the next episode is jim gosker who a lot of people haven't heard of but here's a guy who i mean a if you do know of him you know of him because of ball four he was there's a very infamous story in Ball Four where he was in the closet when his teammate was having sex. I say in the closet, I mean physically. Right. Like he right. Was physically right. in that closet. Uh, to give his roommate he was sexiled basically. Imagine being sexiled as a professional baseball player. And so he was sexiled in the closet and the girl just was being very, very loud, and then at one point she just goes, Oh, I've never done it like this before. And he just steps out of the closet and goes, Yeah, sure. And <laughs> Because And this was with the Seattle Pilots, that one year they were in existence. And because the Pilots were so terrible, yeah, sure, kind of became a rallying cry for the team. <laughs> uh, just this sarcastic uh, awfulness. And so, like, that kind of stuff, you know, I was like, okay, well, let's do an episode about that. So, uh, you know, I try, to, I try to keep a healthy balance. Very cool. Very cool. Right on. And so, uh, you know, with your, with your uh, comedian experience and – and just, you know, being up in, in, in front of people, do you think that, that your preparation for doing that 
uh, has helped you uh, with interviewing, you know, interviewing somebody who might be a hard interview and trying to get them to loosen up a little bit? Uh, Is there crossover there? Absolutely. It's for a couple things. One, it's helped me ad lib. And ad lib is so important when you're interviewing someone. Uh, Two, it let me know how important laughs are encouraging someone to open up and continue. And so sometimes when I see someone, like when one of the subjects is kind of kidding around a little bit, I'll throw in as many laughs as I can. You know, I'll, I'll laugh a little extra to get them to keep going down that road to show them like, yes, this is a good thing. Yeah. And then the last thing is these guys know I'm a comic. And because of that, I think they open up a lot more and they understand that it's going to be fun. I mean, the thing that I tell them is this is going to be 70% documentary and 30% abject silliness. And that's why we end every episode with a would you rather because it's just it's just silliness. Yeah. Um, although sometimes the would you rathers actually get a little serious. Um, but it's I think they give me a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt because I'm a comic and I, I can get away with a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I, I think that it probably helps you tremendously <laughs> to, to be able to roll with that. Because, you know, like you said, sometimes those you know, those star athletes, they're going to be the hardest to crack. And, yeah. and, and it's guys, you know, sometimes it's the guys like Barry Lyons who are just kind of ready to open up. And meanwhile, Ken Griffey Jr. might not be so much ready to open up. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, it's, it's giving. It's, I, I mean, one of the things I've discovered is for the guys who have been out of the game at least five years, it really gives them an opportunity to tell their story. Um, because all of a sudden they're not relevant anymore. You know, these are people who maybe they made a million dollars, or in Gosker's case, his highest salary was twenty five thousand because he played back in the day. Um, but you know, these are guys who, if you're not a coach, if you're not a broadcaster, if you just kind of stop playing. You know, maybe you go work for the city, or maybe you golf every day. Who knows? But to be able to go through those memories and explain your side of the story is something they don't get to do, and especially because I don't give a fuck if it was a curveball in the eighth inning. I don't care. Like, <laughs> I care about how did you battle depression in 1990 before anyone knew what depression was? And how did you do that? Because as fans, when I, I always try to stay a fan. And that's actually why I, I started as a sports writer early in my career. And I stopped because I couldn't take not being a fan. And so what I always try to do is do the interview from a fan's perspective. And so when, when Barry Lyons started talking about depression, one of the things that hit me as a fan is like so many times we watch TV and we're just like, dad, you're playing baseball. You're doing what, what we would love to do. Shut you up. Make and a shitload up. of money. Right. Exactly. Be like, you're, you're all depressed about your world series. <laughs> but that's not fair. And they're all human beings and they all suffer from the same things that we do. Um, they might suffer through it on a pile of cash, depending on who it is. Um, but that, you know, that's something I, I really try to examine when I'm doing the interview. You touched on that, I think, in one of your recent episodes when you talked to Mark Gubaza mm-hmm. and his, you know, his, his daughter had battled these seizures for yeah. a number of years and, you know, to have to play, you know, to, to actually have to, and now he's a broadcaster. So yeah. to actually have to put all that stuff aside and perform, whether you're a comedian or a musician, anybody that's got to perform in front of people, that's got to be really daunting because that person's going through a lot of shit. It could be it could be an illness. It could be a divorce. It could be yeah. whatever the case may be. And I think fans forget that. 
I absolutely, and I forgot if it was the Gubiza or the Kevin Stocker episode, but on one of the recent ones, I talked about compartmentalizing, yeah. and you know, and and as a comic, it's something I have to do all the time. Where like, you know, I could have, I mean, I I had to I had to tape a television show the night I lost my dad. Like that's how the fuck do you do that? But well, I had no choice, and that's something that every player has to do. You know, every every player has to go. Well, not tape a TV show, although technically they're on TV all the time. Which, by the way, one of the most fun things about kind of the behind the scenes thing is seeing stuff like that you never thought of. Like uh, one of the guys I'm working on a couple projects with is Greg Jeffries, and oh, nice. nice. I was I was talking to him. He was my favorite player as a kid too. Which so the whole thing is really surreal, but. I was talking to him because we're developing some TV stuff, and we uh, we ended up um, we ended up going to a live read of The Simpsons, and it's a really great experience. If anyone ever has the opportunity to do that, holy shit! It's it's one of the most <laughs> impressive entertainment spectacles. It is it is better acting than a Broadway play, and they're just sitting around the table <laughs> doing the voices. And like Hank Azaria was talking to himself in various characters because at some point, like his character has. Anyway, point is, nice. so we're on the Fox lot, and you know, and that's something I've gotten used to living in LA and being in television. And like, Greg wanted to walk around and see everything, and I just turned him. I was like, "This isn't old for you," and he's like, "Nah, I really don't really get to do this a lot." I was like, "You were on TV 162 days a year, right. like you know your games were broadcast, right? Like they were televised." <laughs> And he was like, yeah, but it's different when it's a set. It's much more fun when it's a set. And I, you know, I totally get that. And I never, I never thought about that before. Well, yeah. Well, speaking of the Mets, uh, yeah. you know, everybody out there, you are a Mets fan. Can you tell us a little bit about your 1986 memories? Oh, my God. So I, I was seven years old in 1986. Um, and... You know, when I look at kids who be like, I'm a blah, blah, blah fan, you know, usually I'm thinking, no, you're not. You don't know it. But I look back at it and I go, you know what? I've been a Mets fan since I was four. When I was four years old, I was at a, friend, I was at a friend's house and they turned the TV on and the Yankees were playing. And I out loud was, at a, as a four-year-old, I was like, can we watch the Mets? And like, that was the house I grew up in. And so in 86, the things I remember the most, I remember the playoffs when we were terrified that it would go seven games because Mike Scott was going to pitch game seven. Mm-hmm. And there, there was no beating Mike Scott. We That's were very, sad. very scared of that. Yeah. Uh, I, remember, uh, I remember seeing, because I, I was young enough that I was excited, but, not, but I, I wasn't, or sorry, old enough that I was excited, but not old enough that I knew, like, okay, the game's at this time and schedule your life around this game. And so I, one of the biggest memories is when they won in the playoffs, uh, I guess I was in my room or something, but my my parents were screaming and yelling, and I ran into the living room to see, and I saw Jose Cruz on the bench crying, and I'll never forget that. <laughs> uh, but then it's the '86 World Series. Um, I remember watching uh, as many games as I could. I think I watched at least part of every game. Mm-hmm. I remember that adorable little display that the Red Sox fans did when they released the balloons onto the field, and then in Game Six. The skydiver in New York was just like, oh, you balloons? I'm going to throw a person on the field. And so, <laughs> so he, he skydove onto the field. And what I didn't realize until recently, I was watching the clip, uh, and the guy in game six, the guy who was up during the skydiver, Bill Buckner. So wow. maybe, maybe he was Mojo. a little bit rattled during the game. Not even Mojo, <laughs> just like what you were saying, like the idea of being oh, yeah. thrown off. He was at bat when that happened. 
How the hell do you recover from an entire stadium going apeshit because a guy skydove on the field? <laughs> Dude, post game press conference, he just he should have just been like skydiver. Yeah, skydiver. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know if you know this, but there was a human thrown at me, so <laughs> yeah. it was a little difficult. Can yeah, a ball got through my legs. The human didn't. Can I get credit for that? <laughs> uh, yeah, and I actually watched that moment. Um, this this is a very vivid memory of mine. I watched that moment in the electronics department of a department store uh, because my my dad was sufficiently whipped enough to, for some reason, we were like shopping uh, during there, a there World must, Series game. During a World Series game, game six or game seven? Game six. Um, but my brother. Uh, my brother and I went to, and it was like as the store was closing, because we were always shopping as the store was closing, because we could never get our shit together. I was going to say, it'd be kind of late. The yeah, that's, yeah, it was yeah. Probably, around, probably around 10 or, you know, I don't know when it ended, but, you know, I mean, it's definitely, definitely late. And so the electronics department was supposed to be closed, but because we were Mets fans and we were in New York, they put, they put a TV on for us. And my brother and I watched it and got to see that moment in, in that department store. And that was, oh, my God, that was so much fun. That's a unique experience. Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely a weird one. I, I'd imagine not many people have that story because they have better parents. But so you grew up in Queens, right, Steve? I sure did. Okay, yeah. Growing up in Central Illinois, our only reference to Queens was coming to America. All right, yeah. but uh... that was, by the way, that was a great documentary. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Story of your life. Um, it was, and, no, that was, I mean, that was pretty spot on for a while. Queens has changed since then. Yeah, that's, so I've heard. Yeah, it's yeah. one of those things where I can watch that movie, and when they're talking about things, I can just be like, Jackson Heights, Casino Boulevard. Like, it's just, when they're not even making clear references to it, I'm like, I know what they mean, you know? Yeah. So, because I didn't just grow up in Queens. I grew up, I lived in seven different neighborhoods in Queens. Holy oh, so, yeah. A lot of ground. So, the whole damn thing, yeah. I don't know if you saw back uh, for Halloween, the Wiener Circle here in Chicago, they put the McDowell's facade up. I don't know if you saw that or not. Oh, I didn't, but that's awesome. It was really good. Yeah, they 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 posed as McDowell's for a day. Yeah, they had the outfits and everything. Yeah, this is right? how this is how much of a Mets fan I am. When I was a kid, and I like the first time I saw that movie, I saw McDowell's, and immediately I was like, Roger McDowell's. Like that's <laughs> that was my point of reference. So. Nice. Well, you know. The Mets have had two World Series appearances six, since 86, right? Yes. 2000 and then last year. Yes. You know, they haven't quite sealed the deal, but you've, are you pretty confident going into 2016, Steve? I mean, you, most people it's are the, about the Mets. It's the most excited I've ever been about a season. Um, okay. I'm not confident that they'll win the World Series because the fact is, you, when, once you make the playoffs, it's kind of anybody's ballgame, and yep. that's how it works. And, you know, there are 10 teams that will – have almost as good of a chance as each other to make the World Series. And, you know, yeah, if, if the Mets have a, a much better winning percentage than other teams, that means that out of seven games, they should win, like, what, a 20th of, of an extra one? So <laughs> what, is, what does that do? Yeah. Um, I, I love their upside. That's one of those things that looking at the Mets' upside, if everything goes right, holy fuck, there's no, no way anyone could beat them. If everything goes right, it's, it's impossible. It will be the most dominant season we've seen in a long time. But as a Mets fan, I know not everything is going to go right. So the question is, what is going to go wrong, and, and are we going to be okay with it? The Sandy Alderson was a wizard this offseason. Every single hole, every single one, and even the ones that people weren't talking about. I mean, depth on the bench in the middle infield. Who the fuck was talking about that? But, he's, but he did that too, you know. 
The bullpen looks fantastic, which is not something I've said in a very long time. Uh, we'll see how uh, Tony Nodad does. That's our friendly nickname for Antonio Bastardo. Um, <laughs> well done. <laughs> but uh, everyone should call him Tony Nodad, by the way. Um, but, you know, if, if he does really well, you know, and, uh, and Addison Reed, who I, who I think is great, you know, he, he was lights out for them uh, at the, in the stretch last year. So I'm I'm really excited to to see how it goes. Like we'll we'll see we'll see if the age old adage is true. Does does good pitching beat the Chicago Cubs? Yeah. Well, that's that's a good that's a good segue. Um, Levi's a Cubs fan. Jonathan's yeah. a Royals fan. So obviously you Oof. you guys you guys are pretty connected there in October. One and one, and uh, one guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm I'm a I'm a a White Sox fan and. Um, you know, the question you posed for us was, you know, we're yeah. talking about the Mets and the Cubs, who I think it's likely could meet in the in LCS again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most prognosticators are probably penciling those two teams in. You know, the question you asked was, you know, does good pitching always stop good hitting? Um, I, you know, I would rather have the Mets rotation than the Cubs going into the playoffs. But I, I would I, I would certainly like most people give give the Cubs the offensive nod oh the the cubs the cubs hitting is unbelievable and it's the same thing with with if the upside goes you know if if everything goes the best possible way you know the cubs might set the record for home runs in the majors like they they might be the most ever um same with the mets and strikeouts you know so it, it completely it completely depends on how things go so much depends on injuries but i would disagree with a lot of prognosticators so many people are still taking the Nationals, which hmm. I think I thought that was silly before Cespedes was signed. And then once Cespedes was signed, it was like, really, you're going to still. OK, yeah, sure. Yeah. That's no hmm. we like we like being the underdog. Let let people think that we're going to finish two games behind the Nationals. I'll be I'll be perfectly fine with that. Yeah, they're kind of a mystery to me this season, just because like everybody else, I penciled them into to win. I think to win the World Series last year. Oh, yeah. And, we saw how that turned out. Um, yeah, best they got the best player on the planet, but I don't. I'm not sure of the talent he's surrounded by right now. Other well, than this pitching. this year this year is interesting because this year I don't remember a year where the amount of teams that were either going for it or completely rebuilding were this clear. Mm. Like it's one of those things where you look at the start of the season and there are like ten teams that have absolutely no shot whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Even if best case scenario happens, right. what a best case scenario? What are the Padres going to finish third if everything clicks for them? Yeah, if everything clicks for the Marlins, they might take second place. Like that's something where the the Mets play in a two team division right now. Yeah, you know the, the 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 Rockies are dead. It's more in the National League than the American actually, but the Rockies are dead. Then there are some teams in the American League that think they're contenders that are very very wrong. I root for one of those teams. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. Although very happy about that Austin Jackson signing. I thought you know I was like someone is going to get a steal on this guy. Um, when the Mets looked like they weren't going to get Cespedes, I was really hoping that they would end up get getting Jackson. Um, but that said. I don't. I don't understand why teams go all in when all in is probably going to be second or third place. Like I don't. I don't get that from a from a financial perspective. From a, I, I. I get you want your fans to have faith in you, but 
It, it's, I, it's, that's a weird thing. Yeah. When you, all those long-term contracts. When you see the Marlins finally kind of at the end of the free agency season, just be like, okay, why Chin, we'll give you five years for 90 million. Why? What's the point? <laughs> just to do something, just to spend money before it goes away. I don't, I don't get it before Jeffrey Loria like takes it and like takes it to a uh, guy who hired his GM to be his manager and his yeah. GM, who by the way was a pretty good GM. And then they were like, why don't we ruin your reputation completely by Awful. making you manage an unwinnable team Awful. with no experience? Won't that be great? Uh, it's been a fun yeah. season. I thought the Mar. I think the Mar. I've talked about this on the podcast before. I think the Marlins yeah. would make a great book. I, you know, just how weird that franchise has been. It hasn't been around that long, but some weird shit's gone down with that team. Totally. Um, I, whoever, whatever South Florida reporters out there, write that book. I'd read it. Coolest Marlins stat: uh, two World Series win, two World Series wins, never finished first place. Not wow. Wild well, cards. Yeah. 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 Not yeah. One time. Wow. And not only that, I think. If I'm correct, uh, never lost a playoff series. They've only been in the postseason twice, I believe. Okay. And both times they won the World Series as a wild card. That's good. So never finished in first, never lost a playoff series, two World Series championships. Very, very weird team. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No kidding. Yeah, just the whole organization and then you know the new stadium. Just it, it's all yeah. just it's some weird shit going down down there. I I threw a uh, I threw a first pitch uh, for them last year and. Oh, nice. I really wanted to just chuck it at that fish tank. Like, <laughs> I just, I, it took everything I had to just be like, there are people watching, you got to throw it at them. I really wanted to hit the fish tank. Do they tell you what not to do when you're out there? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, they. everyone tries a different version of the like, you're going to bounce it to the plate, you're going to suck kind of thing. And I'm like, no, I'm okay. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not dumb. You don't see me taking BP because... That'd be ridiculous. <laughs> It'd be a terrible idea, um, you know. But it's something where I'm I'm gonna throw like you know like an adult. Um, although from uh, the mound, yeah, from the mound. Well, here's the trick: you have to throw from the mound because if you throw in front of the mound and you screw up, you have no excuse. If you throw from the mound, you screw up. At least I threw from the mound like a, like an adult. But uh, I said I said three words I never thought I would say when I was throwing for the Marlins. So it was before. Uh, there was a uh, Passover promotion. It was, this was one of the first games of the season, so it was in April. And so they had like a bunch of local uh, synagogues and youth groups there, and they were doing like, a big Passover thing. And so the other person throwing at a first pitch was a rabbi. Now, I am Jewish, and I speak a little bit of Hebrew, and you know, so I thought, oh, well, let me be friendly, and let me, you know. And so the first thing I said to him was Chag Sameach, which is Happy Holidays, basically. And it shows, like, I am one of you. I wouldn't know this otherwise. You know, like, hey, loosen up a little bit, Rabbi, you know. And <laughs> he kind of snubbed me. And I was like, all right, that's a little bit weird. And then uh, right before we're throwing, you know, we're just standing there, just the two of us. No one else is there. It's very awkward to not make conversation. And so I, I say to him, I was like, I, you know, I just go, uh, what do you plan on throwing today? And again, says nothing to me. <laughs> just completely ignores me and so i go and i throw and it's got a little bit of movement on it catches the corner for a strike (laughs) nice little drop and uh he throws and it's disgusting it's 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 one of these where's your god now rabbi like one of those pitches (laughs) and so uh afterward uh like i'm walking in with one of the team reps 
And he's asking me, you know, he's like, oh, you know, I saw you talking to the rabbi. I was like, well, I was talking to the rabbi, but he wasn't talking to me. And so I told him what had happened. And the guy's like, really? That happened? I go, yeah. And then he sucked in front of the entire crowd. So I'm going to say three words I thought I would never say in my life. Fuck that rabbi. <laughs> that was my mom. And Marlon's rabbi. Jeez. All right. <laughs> Only in Miami. Yeah. Excellent. And you, you've thrown like 10 first pitches. You've, you've been out there quite a bit. I've thrown, I've thrown exactly 10. Um, seven major league, two minor. Or sorry, seven major league, three minor. That, but two different minor league teams. I threw for the Louisville Bats twice. Um, and it was, it, it was just something that kind of came together. Uh, the, the Bowie Bay Sox had me do a post-game show. And they were like, we were negotiating contract. And I was like, look, I want a flight there and I want to throw the first pitch. I don't care what you pay me. I want to throw the first pitch. And so, because I had never done it before. And I was so excited. This was also before I got my television show. And that kind of changed everything. So I was still in the mode of like, this may never happen again. And then I got laughs. And they were like, well, what can we do to promote this? And I was like, how about first pitches? <laughs> so uh, we started like with the markets that we, you know, wanted ratings in. And then I just started reaching out to a bunch of different teams and, uh, yeah, I've gotten to do it seven different times. It's been, uh, or sorry, seven different times in major league parks, and it's been amazing. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. I I wish. I mean, no one keeps track of this, but I genuinely wonder if anyone's ever done that. Like, why would anyone do that? Like, why would anyone be that ridiculous and that? Because most of the time, the teams, like the Dodgers, won't let me throw one because I'm such a Mets fan. Like they, <laughs> I actually posted about that in the Mets subreddit because I I said I was like I guess I'm doing something right. Because the, and I like I showed the little email where they were just like you know we really appreciate you know happy to have him at a game but no he cannot throw the first pitch <laughs> like, all right I guess yeah, I don't uh, know what's cooler throwing the first pitch or being barred from throwing it you know I've well, said a couple things about Chase Utley so I think that as long as he's part of that organization I'm probably not welcome there well speaking speaking of the other team in New York Steve you said you yeah. started out as a Yankees beat writer. Yes. Um, did you grow up hating? Did you grow up hating the Yankees, or was it? I I had an irrational hatred for them when I was a kid. You know, it was one of those things that, like, I think when I was still young enough that I would use the word "smelly" as an insult to everything. You know, like one of those <laughs> things. Uh, I I didn't really understand the organization. I just knew that they were the crosstown, and that's who you're supposed to hate. And then actually, working for them changed everything because. I really got to know their history, and I mean, historically, very, very impressive organization, obviously. Sure. But also, the, the, the main thing I realized, I was writing a column, and I was doing research, and I was like, holy shit, this is true. Uh, after Dave Winfield, the Yankees, and I don't know if it's still true, but at the time it was, the Yankees had not set the record for the highest paid player. Sometimes they would trade for the highest paid player. And, you know, uh, but they would never overpay for someone. They would have a huge... Uh, they would have, uh, a, you know, huge contracts throughout the team and their, you know, their total salary would be ridiculous, but they wouldn't pay $8 million for a middle infielder in 1996, you know, and, and the Diamondbacks did that with Jay Bell, you know, the, their, those teams were the ones that would screw up the market. And so I started really gaining a respect for, and the idea of the Yankee way, you know, the idea of like, it's not for me necessarily. I more prefer the kind of clowning of, of the Mets, but the idea of like the rigid and professional and, you know, I respect that. So I, I, I learned a lot working for them. 
And was that tough then in 2000, you said you were writing for them when they played the Mets in the series? What was that like for you? Oh, it was, on one hand, you're with the guys the whole season, and you want what's best for them. You want the people that you've been working with to get a championship, both the players and the staff. You know, it was, I, I mean, hell, I, after they won, so I wasn't, I was only on the road with them a little bit that year, and then there were tons of cutbacks because they, this was the year before MLB consolidated all the websites. So they were just kind of like, well, we're done with people, you know, with the writers traveling with the team because I was an in-house writer for them. Okay. And so with the playoffs, I didn't get to travel. I only got to go to the home games. And they clinched on the road. They clinched victory on the road, and then they clinched each of those series on the road. So it wasn't until the World Series that I got to be there for the champagne celebration. And I know I'm a Mets fan, and I'm a huge Mets fan, and I love them. But I got to say, there's something amazing about that experience. And especially, like, I was, I was more friendly with the team staff. Uh, like, Rohan Baichu, who was the, uh, he was the team masseuse, um, he, like, when I walked in the locker room, and I was smart enough to take my tie off because I was like, I'm, I can't get champagne out of a tie. Like, I'm going to get whatever this is ruined. I didn't think to untuck my shirt. If anyone's ever going into a champagne celebration, untuck your fucking shirt. Because... <laughs> He, so he saw me and he was like, Steve, and I go to, you know, give him a handshake. And he goes, we just won the World Series. Give me a hug. And I do. And he takes the back of my shirt and he pours an entire <laughs> bottle of champagne down my shirt. And it went right <laughs> into my pants. Just right into my <laughs> pants. Just soggy ass of champagne. And it was something <laughs> where, you know what, after game three, that's the one game that the Mets won that year. There were me, one of the media relations people, and one of the scoreboard guys were all Mets fans. And so, and there were post-game parties. Uh, every other team at the time, I don't know what it is now, but every other team at the time had post-game parties for every playoff game. Um, the Yankees only did them for the World Series because there's no celebration until we're to the World Series. Sure. We're supposed to be in the ALCS, assholes. We're supposed to be here. <laughs> uh, but they did have them after the World Series. And so after game three, that we met for like a little celebratory toast, like just the three of us, just a very little quiet, like, we did it. We, we won one of them. We would have been up two games to one right now if it weren't for Timo fucking Perez. But, uh, and so that was fun. But, but at the same time, I, as much as I am a Mets fan, I, personally, I couldn't trade the experience of being in that locker room for that celebration for, for anything. So yeah. I'm, I, I was happy to be a part of that. But from now on, let's, let's hope the so, Mets win. Yeah. So do rings trickle down to the in-house rider? Did they give they you used to. They used yeah. to. Yeah. And, uh, you got a lapel pin, maybe? <laughs> I mean, I got, I have the media credentials and the World Series pin and like that kind of stuff. But the, so I actually do have a World Series lapel pin. Um, <laughs> nice. but, I've never put on a lapel. I have like a frame with all that stuff, but um, of just like my weird season. But in 98, all the staff got rings because uh, Steinbrenner was just so happy. And by 2000, um, it was the third year in a row and they were just like, Nah, we don't fucking care anymore. And so not only did I not get a ring, something I was very, very upset about. And, and you know, and, and it's something that I think I will carry with me the rest of my life is I wasn't in the parade. And I was very mad about that because we were with that team the entire season. We, sure. you know, we were there. To, there was one crazy game that went to like three in the morning because of weird rain delays. And, and there were, you know, and flying, at, flying to Anaheim and back in three days and like all that stuff we did. And then they were just kind of like, yeah, you're not important enough. So fuck off. You don't get to – you could watch the parade. 
like an asshole if you want to. <laughs> uh, and I was upset about that because I really, I really wanted to just, you know, be sitting on one of those floats, which they did every other year until that year. So, oh. eh. yeah. I was, I was 21. It would have been fun. Yeah, no kidding. So I wonder if uh, I, I don't I don't know if uh, the acquisition of Chapman, Aroldis Chapman, and, and and that bullpen is going to put him over the hump. Uh, yeah, what do you that think? Dude, that dude throws bullets. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, that he does in his garage. He does. Yeah. yeah. I. You know what? I mean, maybe it will, or maybe it will be a complete media circus. Um, I guess it'll be quiet for the first thirty games, but um, I. You know what? I honestly don't think so. They have a great bullpen. But then what? Yeah. You know, they their their starting pitching is not strong enough. Their hitting is getting really, really old. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that will they be in the playoffs? Very possibly. They're a contender. But they're just they're not what they were. They're not they're they're one of the borderline teams. Like I understand why they're trying to go for it. They're a team that, you know, plug two, three more holes and then they'd be terrifying. But when the Mets look as good as they do when the Cubs look as good as they do, when the Blue Jays look as good as they do, how the hell are you going to – how can you – How I don't see anyone picking the Yankees to win the series this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, in terms of taking the, the Royals approach with the solid 7, 8, 9 inning yeah. guys, uh, it's it's funny because, you know, the Royals did it more organically, I guess, with, with uh, home – I shouldn't say homegrown guys, but um, – uh, but guys that have been with the organization for a little while, and they weren't these yeah. big names, and they were guys who know their roles. Like I am okay yes. with being the seventh inning guy, and and I've heard that Andrew Miller is is okay with not being the the closer. And but the idea being that it makes the rotation that much better, and the Yankees rotation is kind of iffy. Uh, but if if they're good enough, then that bullpen really can shore up that rotation. But it's oh, absolutely I don't know how likely it is so. Yeah, they, they have to go, you know, well, not it's not every day. So they have to go, they have to average about six and two-thirds because, I mean, those three guys can't go every single day. Sure. Um, yeah. And a lot of those starters are not people you can count on to go six and two-thirds. Um, you know, not only that, but they play in a league that's known for offense, and one of their division rivals is known for offense. And, you know, so I just, I don't see... I you know I I don't see it. I like the theory of having a couple of lights out relievers, and that's wonderful. But you you gotta you need more than that. Mm-hmm. So who, who do you like in the NL, Steve? I mean, obviously there was the Mets. Do you think it's just the Mets and the Cubs, or is there anybody uh, else in the equation? No, I I mean I think the the Mets and the Cubs uh, to me are are the favorites. But hard to ignore the Pirates. Hard to ignore the Cardinals. I mean, they're not what they were, but what they were was ridiculous. So now yeah. they're only close to ridiculous. Um, the I think people are banking a little too much on that every other year thing for the Giants. Um, but, you know, I mean, they do look good. <laughs> they there's did get a couple be, guys for that rotation. Yeah, yeah they, they filled out that rotation nicely. There's going to be an arms race in, you know, in that NL West. The Dodgers had the weirdest offseason of anybody. Uh, I, you know, I, I would joke that it's, you know, Dodger blue is now the color you should use for blue balls because of how many people they <laughs> almost got, uh, you know, it was amazing how, how many, uh, how many second choice team or how they were the second choice team for so many people, yeah. but they still look good. You know, I think the diamondbacks, you know, I, I mean, 
hard to ignore Goldie, and obviously, you know, Granky can be Granky. That's that's going to be pretty intimidating. Shelby Miller. But yeah, um, but I I think those those three are going to beat up on each other a lot, and I don't see the wild card coming out of that division. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the second one might, um, but I think in the NL Central, it is very clearly. Cubs, Pirates, Cardinals in the NL West, very clearly the three teams I just said. And so, yeah, so there are only eight teams in the NL that I think have a shot at the five playoff spots, which is a little ridiculous. Well, you mentioned teams that don't quite have enough, you know, making these, making, making these, uh, these monumental moves. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't really get the Diamondbacks. I mean, to trade the number one pick. Yeah. But less than a year after he was drafted, I think. Six months. Six months yeah. after he was drafted, something like that. I don't get it because, like you said, I mean, yeah, there there may be a third place team. I don't know, maybe if things really click, a second place team. Although I doubt that. Um, I don't think I don't get it. I don't get what they're year, doing. Though. I don't think their play is for this year. If you look, those are long term contracts, and I think that what the Diamondbacks are doing is I don't necessarily agree with it, but they're mixing some very young talent with some amazing players with long term deals. Now, obviously. I don't know if there's ever been a pitcher signed to a long-term deal where year six and seven ended up going well. Um, Except the steroid guys who were just suddenly like, I'm 42 and I'm the best. How did that happen? It's magic. (laughs) Um, But I, you know, I, I think that the Diamondbacks play is for, they got all that TV money. And I mean, they got a ton of TV money. And so I think what they're doing is they're trying to, call a fan base by showing the fans that they're going to spend some of that money. They're not just going to keep it. And by doing that, also eventually attract more players. One of the reasons why the Mets had such a great offseason this year is because a lot of people wanted to come and be Mets. You know, the Mets had this crazy magic, and it was something where um, I was talking to uh, Addison Reed about it um, before a game last year, and he was saying, this is like nothing I've ever seen where this team just finds ways to win and it's so much fun to play here. And you look at stuff like like the Instagram account that Cr- Curtis Granderson does for Lucas Duda, where they just follow him around and post silly videos of him against his will on Instagram. And like <laughs> it's shit like that that makes it fun. And so I think the play that the Diamondbacks are making is a long term of, hey, let's finish either a strong third or a distant second this year and get people a little more interested in this team, and then let's go for it in 2017, 2018, which I can understand. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, Dave Stewart is their GM now, and uh, I, I, I liked him a lot growing even though I was a White Sox fan. I liked him a lot growing up. Um, he looked – we've talked about him on the podcast. He looks like a really mean SOB when he was on the mound. But if you hear yeah. his voice, his voice is pretty um, – it's like he's been sucking on helium for a little bit. I don't, I don't know if you yeah. ever heard him speak. I, I don't think I have, but maybe that's why he looked so mean. I don't know. <laughs> right. Right. He's like, I better uh, look mean. One of the interesting things about – uh, about black players who came up in the 70s and 80s is it was a very, very different time in in terms of racial tolerance than it is now. I mean, even now, sometimes things are pretty shitty. And uh, in talking to Gary Matthews about this, the thing that he said that I was like, holy shit, that's poetry, was someone asked him why he was always so angry when he was up. And he turned to them and said, with all we've been through, how come you're not angry? And that was something that really stuck with me. And when you look at, like, Bob Gibson's got that reputation of just being, and yeah. I met him when I was 20, and it was not far from the truth. 
you know, that reputation of just being a, you know, say fuck off first, ask questions later uh, kind of guy. And, you know, I, I understand where that might come from coming up, especially when he did. A lot of hurdles other players didn't have to, uh, sure. to go over. Yeah. 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 And, and actually the, uh, uh, his note that he, he fared well in Decatur, Illinois, uh, where he didn't have to put up with as much, uh, that, that being, uh, not too far from where we grew up. I was, you know, somewhat proud to hear that he didn't have to put up with as much there in Decatur. So. Yeah. As someone I've been to Decatur and I, that, uh, that does surprise me, but good. <laughs> right. Yes. Within no, it's reason, good. Though. It's good to hear that the Walmart's not segregated. That's great. <laughs> So, so, uh, you know, you're also, uh, Steve, you're also known for handling hecklers quite well. Yeah. And then you have, you have YouTube, uh, proof <laughs> and, uh, uh but in, now we're going to actually do one of your segments. Would you rather? Okay. Okay. Let's do it. So would you rather put up with a heckler for 40 minutes up there on stage, or would you rather put up with a heckler from the outfield for nine innings? Uh, heckler from the outfield for nine innings. Um, because the heckler from the outfield doesn't ruin the game. It doesn't affect, I mean, it can bother you a little bit, but it doesn't affect how you play. But if people can't hear you when you're a comic, there's nothing you can do. Um, not to mention, all an outfielder has to do is turn around, flip him off, and turn back around, and the stadium would go ape shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, w- I happen to be at a game in Wrigley, in which Brian Giles was in the outfield, and yeah. they tortured him, tortured him. Uh, one was like he he brushed his nose, and it was like for ten minutes. Giles is a fucking nose picker. He eats oh them. God. He eats his boogers, and it was just like fifty people just laid it on every inning. He would come out. It was like banged your aunt last night, <laughs> banged your mom last. It was like every family member got banged. I I love including that. Marcus Giles. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. Anyway. No, that was great. I love that people will act like that and then be like, "How come they're cutting off beer in the fourth inning?" It's ridiculous. You're why they're cutting off beer in the fourth inning. Exactly. Yeah. The sometimes you know people can really be uh, merciless in the stands. There was a, and it's amazing to see how, like. I guess how hypocritical people are. I don't know if you ever saw that clip on Fallon where uh, a lot of people were booing Robinson Cano. When, when Cano went to, went from the Yankees to the Mariners, uh, Fallon was stopping people because Cano was coming into New York for the first time since that trade or since that uh, free agent signing. And so they were like, here's a cardboard cutout of him. You know, what would you say to him? And everybody's like, boo, you suck. You're the worst. Go back to Seattle. And then Cano would step out from behind the cutout. (laughs) It was brilliant. But every one of those people, to a man, every single one of them, apologized, tried to hug him, shake his hand, etc. I'm so sorry. So nice to meet you, Mr. Cano. Like, immediately just took it back. And you're like, oh, so you're just a dick then. Like, you don't even believe what you're saying. You're just a dick. Whereas, like, for me, if I was booing Chase Utley, and then he stepped out from behind a cutout, I would just say, this changes nothing. (laughs) <laughs> you prick yep be like hey go easy on my knees asshole so <laughs> all right well, well see we're gonna our final question is gonna be the one that we ask all of our guests um 
So it's Steve Hofstetter's first big league at bat. What would be your walk-up tune? Oh my God, that's a great question. And that's something that like I've thought of over the years and keep changing it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How has it evolved? Uh, well, you know, at first I wanted something, you know, kind of, kind of like really badass. But then I was like, nah. But for me, that's going to be too much. I would actually say, <laughs> I would say, um, there's a song by Fort Minor, and I'm forgetting the name of it right now. But the lyrics, I believe, it starts out something like, um, "Oh shit, damn it! I I need to know the lyrics of it because it's amazing. And if you find it, please play it for people." Um, oh, it's called "Remember the Name." That's the. It was funny. I forgot the name of the song called "Remember the Name." Um, but in the beginning, uh, I I believe it says this is it's it's like uh, this is twenty percent luck, forty uh, percent skill, thirty percent concentrated power of will, and it just basically breaks down what any accomplishment is for people. Um, and then at the end, and then at the end of that, it goes and a hundred percent why you remember the name. I think it's just it's a very very badass song. So I would come up to that. Wow, cool. scientific wow. almost. Yeah, I would. I would love listen to this. It's a very good song. It's it's also like the hard driving beat and everything. I think it would. I think it would be great, and it would be lost on every drunk person in the car. Like nobody would know <laughs> why, but it's a but it's a great song. <laughs> Excellent. Well, um, everybody, you can find more out about Steve, including tour dates, as well as information about all his different programs at stevehofstetter.com. You can like him on Facebook at facebook.com slash stevehofstetter and follow him on Twitter at stevehofstetter. And uh, also, please check out Major League Podcast as well. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, Yes, absolutely. Steve, thanks so much for talking to us, man. We really appreciate this. Hey, thanks for doing it. This is this is great. I love when I saw the name of your podcast, I was like, I have to do that. I have to do that soon. <laughs> Glad you did, man. So uh we yeah. It. Yeah, we'll hopefully maybe check in again sometime. So uh yeah, Sounds really good. uh really appreciate it. Take right, it bye easy. guys. Okay. I'd like to thank Steve Hofstetter for sitting in with us for episode number forty eight. We enjoyed the chat. Also, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Rock in Chew. That's Rock as in in as in Nine Inch Nails, Nick Drake, Nick Cave, Stevie Nicks, Rock in Chew. So check us out there. Also, you can like us on Facebook, and you can find out everything you need to know about rock and roll Shinsu Chew, including previous episodes and lots of other fun stuff at rockchew.com. That's rockchew.com. Until next time, we'll see you around. Take care, everybody. Peace.